This is a serious task. So I pray you hold on to this charge both soberly and earnestly. With that said, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, the 20th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 38. Acts, the 20th chapter, verses 17 through 38. And if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trial that happened to me the through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and, and, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown, I have shown you that by working hard is, is in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
You may be seated. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. like to tag this text before us this morning, called to care, the heart and hands of a pastor. Called to care, the heart and hands of a pastor. Let us look to the Lord God in prayer. O gracious and eternal Father, Lord God over all of creation, there's nothing in this world that does not submit to your authority. For by your word, you created all things. And by the power of your word, you are sustaining us right now. So, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your provision. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sin, living the life that we could not live, and dying the death that we so very deserve. And Father, we thank you that you have sent forth your Holy Spirit to live within your saints, marking them and declaring them and, and reminding them of your love and reminding them that we belong to you. So even now, Lord, as you have sovereignly chose to raise up men within this local body of Christ to serve as pastors, we ask that glory... Glory would not be attributed to any person in this place, but that all glory would be attributed to you. For you are worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Father, for the one who thinks this is not a big deal, Lord, help us to see. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. May you speak to our hearts today. Show us our need for Christ. For the one that is burdened, for the one that is downtrodden, Lord, we ask that you would encourage and that they will see that you have provided means by which they can be reconciled. Through men, this message of reconciliation, this gospel, this good news that has the power to transform, to give life, and to set free. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege. I ask that you would use me, the broken vessel that I am, to proclaim your goodness. Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. The office of the pastorate has been established by God himself. This is not a man-made office. This is not someone, something that somebody came up with just because. But God has ordained this. He has established this. Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. God is caring for his people through shepherds. And in the New Testament, we see in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the 11th verse, that and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The purpose of what the New Testament calls an overseer is to be the spiritual leader of a local gathering of Christ followers. 
The Bible uses a few interchangeable words as Pastor Maceo kind of laid out earlier. But what we know as pastor, the, the elder, this role, but then also overseer, bishop, shepherd, pastor, this function as guardians looking over the church, keeping watch. And as we understand this office of the pastor, the, the shepherd is not greater than the flock. There's equality in value. Because these men have been called pastors, they're not some type of super saints, some special breed of Christian that has come along and, and been installed. They're, they're not ninjas, superheroes. They're broken, ordinary men that God has sovereignly chosen to use in this capacity. Their value, their inherent dignity and worth is not greater than yours. So when we look at the pastor, it's not a position to be lifted up and to be grasped at as, oh, I wish I was one of them. It's something to be looked at with fear and trembling, knowing the weight of it. If anything, the pastor is a distinction of function and role. As we see with our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are one in essence, all God, yet distinct persons, fulfilling specific roles. And that's the body of Christ. Man, woman, boy, girl, white, black, it doesn't matter. We, we all have equality at the foot of the cross. We are all in desperate need of salvation, for we all are wicked sinners who have been separated from God because of our rebellion, because we want to live for ourselves. We want to please ourselves. We want to be our own God. But yet, in his infinite mercy and grace, God sent forth his son, and at the foot of the cross, we can lay our burdens there. We can lay our sins there. And when he got up, we got up, all equal in value. But yet, all throughout Scripture, we see that God's people have specific roles and purposes to fulfill. And when everyone is walking in their calling, and their when you run your lane, it's going to make it plan. When you do what you're supposed to do, God will get the glory. And as these men fulfill this role, it is so that God would get the glory. But yet, even though there is equality and there's a distinction in the role, the scriptures clearly show us that the pastor is to be honored and respected. In spite of how others may have abused this office. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It would be foolish to think in a crowd this size that no one is suffering from church hurt. Where a past church or past pastor has left a bitter taste in your mouth, so now you see every church and every person as representative of that type of individual. But, but let me just declare to you that if they weren't obedient to God, that's between them and God. But if you're going to be obedient to scripture, you are to honor the man of God. Not Nathaniel Bishop Jr., but the office of the pastorate, the pastorate here at Forest Baptist Church. And that your faith and trust is not to be put in man, 
not to be putting organizations, churches, or reputations. Because when we put our faith and trust in man, we will be let down every time. But when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and Christ alone, we will have nothing but joy knowing that God's going to handle that. You got the fool if you want to. God's going to handle that. I may not be able to do something on this side of glory, but Jesus is going to handle that because the scripture says he's coming back in justice and righteousness. He's going to handle it. And what we see in the text this morning is that a pastor is called to care. God has called pastors to care for his church because God cares about his church. Caring is at the center of pastoral ministry. We see this type of caring relationship here between Paul and the Ephesian church. There is a love. There is a camaraderie. There is a genuine friendship here, love and affection. We see this demonstrated in this great farewell. They're they not running Paul up out the church because he's been a bad pastor. They hate to let him go. They love him deeply. And Paul, he was a pastor of pastors. And he models for us today the type of pastoral ministry each one of us should passionately pursue. From his ministry, God shows us two things that he cares about in the pastorate and for a pastor. The first thing, God, the first thing that God cares about is God cares about a pastor's character, his heart. And secondly, God cares about a pastor's conduct, his hands. And caring for his people, God cares about a a, a shepherd's presence amongst the flock. Looking upon today's text, we can answer the question, what should a pastor be? The character of a pastor is not left up to chance. Clearly, God describes what the heart of a pastor should be, who he is. As a shepherd does life amongst the flock, his life is an open book. Revealing to others who he really is. If a pastor is not doing life with his people, something is wrong. Pastors should not have a secret life that you don't know about. Pastors should not live somewhere you don't know. You should be able to easily find out where your pastor lives. He's not hiding it from you. He's not afraid of what you're going to find in his refrigerator. He is open and welcome to everyone who comes by. We see this as Paul, he expresses in, in verse 18, he says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Paul wasn't secretly running to the church, preaching and locking up, making sure no one was... Uh, telling him as he went back to his house. His, his was an open life for all to see. And that's part of the role as a pastor. We, our lives are an open book in order that God may teach not only with the words on Sunday, but the life we live 
Monday through Saturday. There shouldn't be any dichotomy, no double-mindedness. While I'm preaching one thing on Sunday and living a different thing on Monday. And if there is any sin that is in my life and someone confronts me, uh, we are quick to repent because we are broken. And I just tell y'all, no, I'm going to do some stupid stuff. And I just ask y'all to forgive me ahead of time and, and forgive these men ahead of time. But as we look here, there are a number of qualities and, and characteristics that a pastor sh should have. This list is not exhaustive, but I, I think it, they clearly jump up off this text as we look through it, and we look at Paul's life as a model for what a pastor should be. And the first characteristic that we see a pastor should have is that a, a pastor should be humble. He should be humble. Paul says, verse 19, as he has done life with them, he's been serving the Lord with all humility. In this, in this Greco-Roman world, humility was actually not a virtue. It was big to be braggadocious. It was, it was nice to come in town and have your name known. Because when they knew your name, when your lights were, were lit up in public, that means you have more paying customers to hear you speak. And if you are a, a, a humble person, you wouldn't want just everyone to know your name because of the glory or the, the money it would bring to you. You will want people to know you for the God you serve. Know my name because I love Jesus. Know these men's name because they, they love the Lord. This humility that Paul demonstrated over the life time that he had with the, the church in Ephesus, it was marked by this refusal to claim anything for himself. All throughout scripture, Paul is saying, but by God's grace in Jesus Christ is because of the Lord and not by my strength. He, he confesses that he is actually weak. A humble man is not afraid to confess his weaknesses. Nowhere in scripture is there a charge to men to act like they're tough all the time. There's no charge in, in Scripture that say a man should, should never say sorry or that the people should never see you sweat. True humility says, yes, I'm broken, but when I am weak, then he is strong. Paul understood that his ministry would be marked by him walking in his weakness. And when he is walking in his weakness, then the power of Jesus Christ himself will lay upon his life and use his life as a witness and testimony for his purposes. Humility demonstrates a deep understanding of grace. See, you can't be humble if you don't understand that you will sin it. If you ain't willing to confess that I am a sinner, then when you look at other people and they sin, don't let them do something wrong to you. Ah, uh, what you say to me? Uh oh, you remember that time when? I'm not forgiving you. But humility says, I have sinned much and I have been forgiven much. 
And because I've been forgiven much, I can forgive you too. But if we're walking around with bitterness in our hearts, if we're angry with somebody and won't let it go, if we're not willing to, to at least try to reach out, then, then, then what's exuding from us is not humility but pride. Who are you to do this to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I know? Don't you know where I work? I got degrees upon degrees, and you have the, the nerve to disrespect me? No, God says we are to be low. This is a feature for all of us, not just a pastor. And when a pastor lacks humility, God's glory will take a back seat to his own. A shepherd should be humble, but then also a shepherd should be compassionate. He says, in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Tears. Why would Paul shed tears over this church? Are they necessarily tears of joy? Sure, there were moments where God really blessed and showed up. Or maybe there was some personal hurt that he received in ministry. But I think what Paul is getting at is that in pastoral ministry, as he is doing life with everyone, there's going to be some hard times, hard conversations, broken hearts, broken lives. And Paul is able to empathize with this church, to show compassion, to not beat people over the head with the rule of law, but to demonstrate grace as Jesus has given grace. A shepherd should be both tough and tender, tough enough to protect, yet soft enough to care. A lack of compassion is a symptom of pride and a failure to, to understand the complexity of people and the depth of sin. If, you, if a pastor is not compassionate, he truly doesn't understand the depths of depravity. If, I, if we can't be compassionate with people in their sin, then what we're saying is God, sin ain't really that big of a deal, and we can fix ourselves. Lord, have mercy if we ever think we can fix ourselves. The moment we think we can fix, our uh, fix ourselves, then we're headed right for failure. Shepherd should be humble. A shepherd should be compassionate. A shepherd should be vigilant. In verse 28, Paul pleads for the elders here. He says, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. A pastor can't go through life oblivious to what's going on. Like, la di da no, 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 people falling over here. Oh, I wonder what happened. Oh, uh, oh this is messed up. Oh, a pastor got to pay attention to people. To be watching, to be vigilant. But look what Paul says. He doesn't say look over the people first. He says watch yourself first. Keep watch over yourself because Paul knows that every person in here, it ain't Satan who's our worst enemy. We are our worst enemies. You may want to blame Satan for your sin, but Satan ain't been around your block in a minute because he know where you at. You messing up your own self. He don't need to knock at your door. Be on guard from yourself. Understand your proclivities, those things that you lean in towards, the things that you like, the things that draw you near. And as you understand and have this self-awareness, 
ask God for grace and strength in that area. A pastor has to be self-aware. Do you know there's you struggle? Why do you get mad when people say that? You don't even know. You're just mad. A pastor needs to be able to look back in the recesses of his memory and understand that, wow, it was that sinful situation here that kind of manifested this. And I really need to work on that. Before a pastor can care for others, he has to care for himself. But a pastor needs to be on guard from both without and within. Because there are there's dangers around every corner, around every turn. And Satan, it, he always wants to attack the flock. He always wants to bring in dysfunction and disunity. He always wants to bring in some type of chaos and confusion. My, uh, my, the way I read my Bible is where there is chaos and confusion, God is not there. So if your life is full of chaos and confusion, God is not there. If drama follows you around like a, a sitcom or some television show, Housewives of Atlanta, if that's your life, God is not there. Because where the spirit is, there's liberty. There's freedom. There's unity. There's love. When, when the text says the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, where, where all of that ain't there, then the spirit ain't there either. A pastor can be so distracted by what he has going on that he ignores the needs of the body. This temptation kind of shows up in the celebrity pastor type distractions. And as I look at you two men, brilliant, godly, gifted, and the Lord is going to use you to do tremendous things. And it would be so easy to get distracted from the main mission. God is going to exalt you, not that your name will be lit up in life, but that his name will be glorified. And the temptation will be to get caught up in what people are tweeting about you and what they put on Facebook and how they're reviewing you. But God says, it doesn't matter what the world says about you, what I say about you. A pastor must not see a, a church as a step to his own platform, but as a mission on the front lines of ministry. A shepherd should be vigilant, but then also a shepherd should be sacrificial. In verse 24, Paul talks about, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry. Paul says, I don't care about anything else. I just want to be faithful. Whatever that means, I just want to be faithful. If that means I have to give up my life, I just want to be faithful. I just want to serve you. Sacrifice reflects a selfless heart. It's not about you. 
It's about the mission at hand. The pastor is not a giver. It's not a taker. The pastor is a giver. He gives freely of his life. He gives time. He gives hours in, in study, hours in prayer. The, power, the pastor is one who is looking to give out his life. As Paul has says that when it comes to be my time, I want to be poured out. I, I want to be left on E when it's time for me to get the glory. See, the, the, the issue is sometimes as Christians, we're trying to fill up and keep it. We ain't trying to pour out nothing. Well, I'm, I'm going to go to church and get a word today. I need a word today. And we take that word and we hoard that word. We put that word in our pocket. And when it comes time to get the glory, God's going to be like, you are on, you are on full. You wasted all that gas I gave you. I gave you that, that good word in order that you may be fueled for the mission. Don't keep showing up to the church because you need a word. Show up to church so you can be equipped to go to war. Shepherd is sacrificial. A shepherd should be obedient. I like in verse 22, the language that Paul uses, he says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Constrained. Locked up. He can't get away. The Lord has, has so uh, revealed himself and called his life in such a way that he is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He wants to be used of God. Now, he doesn't want to go where he wants to go. He wants to go and be what God has called him to do and be. And when you're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you are able to do what don't make sense to folks. Because everything that God calls you to do won't make sense to your homeboy or homegirl. You hit a situation and, and, and God is calling you to go right when everybody else is going left and you start going right. What do people say? What's wrong with you? It ain't that serious. It ain't that deep. Well, you, 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 you super Christian? What, what's going on? You have to be willing to go against the ground because you want to be obedient. See, obedience comes from a heart of submission. A heart that respects and honors authority. That Jesus can actually tell you what to do and you do it. Can Jesus tell you what to do? When the last time you did something, not because you wanted to, but because Jesus told you you wanted to do. I, I'm talking about like everything in you is like, no, I don't want to do it. Lord, I am not apologizing. I ain't doing it. They get on my nerves. They deserved it anyway. And then the Holy Spirit just begins to gnaw at you. Begins to work, just work you. When you say, Lord, mercy. I, I can't do it anymore. Lord, I, I'm going to do whatever you say to do. I'm going to be obedient not because I know it's the right thing to do, but because I know you're calling me to do it. Can Jesus actually tell you what to do? Does Jesus run your bank account? Does Jesus own your 401k? Does Jesus dictate where your house is, 
who sleeps up in your house? Does Jesus have a say about your mouth and the words that come out? I'm meddling today, my bad. It's supposed to be a pastoral installation. I'm, my bad, I'm, I'm sorry. But when you obey, it's because you're constrained by the Holy Spirit. I may not feel like it at first, but the Lord has a way of changing my heart, softening my heart to where my worst enemy can become my best friend. All because I want to obey Jesus. The shepherd should be courageous. Two times in this passage of scripture, Paul uses the phrase, I did not shrink. I did not shrink. When people were challenging me, when people were coming up against me, when it was a hard word to declare, when it was a hard conversation to have, Paul says, I did not shrink. I did not, I, I did not fail because I was worried more about what people said about me than what you have called me to do. See, courage reveals the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a pastor. You think it's easy to tell somebody they're in sin and you know they're going to go off on you before you go? And then you know that they're going to tell everybody else around you how wrong you are? And then everybody's going to start gossiping about you? Did you hear what they did over there at Forest Baptist Church? Did, but to still go because you know that God has called you to rescue every soul. Lord, it doesn't matter what they say about me. It doesn't matter what they do to me. It doesn't matter how they come up against your family. You obey. The Holy Spirit works in your life. He will give you the courage to obey. And that's not just pastors. That's you. Because the same Holy Spirit that lives in me is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. And if God wants you to have that conversation on the job, you know they hate Christians at your job. You know what be, might be at stake. Lord, I might lose my job. Lord, I, I may lose this friend. Lord, I may lose that. I've been trying to get this dude, and he, he finally liked me. You mean, Lord, I, like I might actually look. Lord, I've been looking at her, and she fine. I might actually lose her. Jesus says, he who loses his life will actually find it. And until you lose your life, then you ain't courageous. Until you speak up in that conversation, you ain't courageous. Until you step out on faith, you ain't courageous. But it's because God will give you the courage. Because wherever he calls, he equips God cares about a pastor's character, but he cares about a pastor's conduct. 
and caring for his people. God cares about a shepherd's practice amongst the flock. And from this morning's text, we can also answer the question, what should a pastor do? Many have joked about the work of a pastor. Oh, they only work one day a week. It's not a real job. And though some have abused the office of overseer, those who are committed to biblical fidelity know that this is a labor of love. Though we see the best in people, we also see the worst. Every decision that you make will be scrutinized and critiqued. And won't nobody have did it that way. The weight of being responsible, not for bodies, but for souls, will rest upon your shoulders daily. Sleep will be forfeited because of the busyness of your mind as it considers the flock. The pastor is to, to serve with a delegated authority because in verse 28, we see that the church belongs to God at a great cost, the blood of Jesus. So the pastor has a has the great responsibility to lead and to feed the flock. Don't be like the young man. I heard this story. Who wanted to be eloquent, eloquent. As he poured out his heart to his. Ladies, as he poured out his heart to his lady, showing his devotion in a letter, he wrote, my dear. I would climb the highest mountain. Swim the widest stream, cross the burning desert, die at the stake for you. P.S. I will see you on Saturday if it doesn't rain. Don't just give lip service to your commitment to the body of Christ, but give life service because God wants you to be faithful. Don't talk about it, be about it. Paul's primary role for the pastor in this text is to feed the flock. A shepherd should feed the flock. This is their primary responsibility. If the flock cannot eat, the flock cannot live. Over and over, Paul is using synonyms for teaching. He says testify. He says proclaim. He says declare, admonish. He is talking about the ministry of a pastor to preach and teach the word of God. That's your primary responsibility. And he says it takes place in public and in private. Verse 20, he says, I was out there preaching in public, but I was preaching house to house too. The same thing I was preaching out there for them is the same thing I'm preaching in here for you. His preaching is indiscriminate. Verse 21, he says, Catch this, both to Jews and Greeks. He's not only going to one people group or one culture, people who just like him. He's going to everybody with the gospel that frees. But you don't just feed the flock anything. You feed the flock the word. You don't feed the flock your opinion. You don't feed the flock life lessons, nursery tales, traditions. You feed the flock the word because God has given his sheep a specific diet. You may be on a 
have a particular ailment, have high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, what we call it, the sugar, you got the sugar. That may be your issue and the doctor has prescribed you a specific diet in order to deal with that ailment. And beloved, sheep have a particular ailment and it's called sin. And unless sin is dealt with with the word of God, it's like a cancer that's going to continue to grow and overtake their lives. Give the sheep the word of God. And not only the shouting pieces, not only the high pieces, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall bless the Lord, oh my soul. We got to give him the whole counsel. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. We give him the gospel, the good news. of What God has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners such as ourselves. Verse 21, Paul, he's preaching the gospel, this repentance towards God and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Sunday school was so rich today. If you weren't here, you missed it. Make it your rule to be at Sunday school. It was so rich because it talked about repentance and faith. You can't have one without the other. It's the same coin. You can't say I trust in Jesus if you never said I'm sorry for that. So we're preaching this gospel that has the power to redeem, but we give them the word because the word is the only thing that will sustain. Like oatmeal. Good breakfast that stick to you. In verse 32, Paul talks about how the word will sustain them. It's the word that's going to do it. The word of his grace is going to be able to build them up and to give them this inheritance. The power is in the word of God. That's why we preach the word. Not in our oratory skills. Not in our ethos. It's the word that does the work. When we do baptisms, I I always tell the candidate, now when we get in there, we're going to let the water do the work. Because I know the water has, has some buoyancy to it. And when you put somebody under the water, The buoyancy causes that person to be lifted back out. So don't fight me. Don't try to swim. We're going to lay you down, but the water's going to do the work. See, stop fighting Jesus to nail. Stop telling him what you is and ain't going to do. We got to let the word do the work. It ain't going to be because our name is out there on the street. Or we we got neon lights. Uh, if if we're going to have transformation and change in this place, it's because we let the word do the work. God will grow us. God will mature us. God will protect us through his word. And the shepherd not only should preach the word, but the shepherd should defend the flock. Quickly, in verses 29 through 30, Paul uses the analogy of wolves coming in. And, of course, natural-born enemies of sheep would be wolves. As wolves are helpless, docile 
somewhat creatures, wolves are ravenous. And they take advantage of the sheep. And he said, fierce wolves will come in, and they will be from among you. So a pastor must defend the flock from external and internal threats. So what does all this mean? Pastors demonstrate their care for the church by caring for their hearts. And pastors demonstrate their care for the church by caring with their hands. Paul's last words to the church in Ephesus were not his own words, but he quoted Jesus. Paul was well aware that the only only way that he was able to stand before them and be a model was because he modeled his life off the chief shepherd. Paul knew that he was an under-shepherd and that Christ Jesus is the chief shepherd. And as we look at Paul's examples of a pastor, we must remember that Paul is reflecting for us what he had been shown, what had been shown to him by Jesus Christ himself. It was Jesus who modeled the character that God cares for. He didn't speak a mumbling word. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was Jesus who modeled the conduct that God cares for, for he laid down his life. Pastors preach Jesus because it's the only name that saves. We see from here that because God has given pastors to the church, that every Christian needs a pastor. Every Christian needs a pastor to do life with, to walk in life with. Every Christian needs a pastor to provide individualized encouragement. T.D. Jakes don't know what you're going through. Joe Osteen ain't praying for you. These pastors are going to be praying for you, serving you. Every Christian needs a pastor. And every Christian needs a pastor so that they will be constantly reminded of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. See, without a pastor, you just astray. Without a pastor, you out there for the wolves to get you. You wondering why you got so many issues? It's because you won't surrender to the authority of your pastor. Sometimes, not every time. I'll qualify that. Not every time. You don't want nobody to tell you what to do. You so disenchanted with the church. God is saying, it ain't the church who you serving. It's me. Don't get stuck. Because sinful people do sinful things. Because you sinful too. Don't get stuck because they're hypocrites in the church. But what has God called you to do? Because if you know what God calls you to do and you ain't do it, then you a hypocrite too. Preach Christ and Christ crucified. God cares about 
pastor's character. God cares about the pastor's conduct because God cares about his church. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy upon us this morning. Lord, I ask that your word will penetrate our hearts.